0: Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I am very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only Sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the Archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain... They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you. Who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before ages, all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.
1: Thanks, Debs, very much. Let's pray again, shall we, as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, as we do come to listen to your word now, thank you that you are a speaking God. And as you do speak, may we listen. And may we listen not just to learn things about you, but learn to love you. As we seek to be a people who contend well for the faith in this world. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you cast your mind back a couple of weeks, you may remember that we began this little series in the book of Jude by thinking about Jude's reason for writing. Why did Jude sit down and pen this letter? Why has God in his kindness preserved these very words for us today? Well, the reason is clearly stated in verse 3. It's where we began and it's the verse which reverberates through this letter. Dear friends, says Jude... Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled. Jude says, I felt it necessary to write and urge you to contend for the faith. And so what we have before us is a letter. And in this letter we have an urgent appeal... From a loving pastor to contend for the faith. The word contend, as we saw, is a word taken from the athletics arena. It speaks of exerting yourself for a cause. It speaks of wrestling for what is right. It speaks of upholding the truth in a generation that is moving away from the truth. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, we'll only be able to do that from the firm footing of the gospel. If we want to be a church here at Long Crendon that contends for the faith, then we need to do so from the firm foundation of the gospel. And that firm footing look is given to us in verse 1. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have been called, you are loved and you will be kept and it is from that position of security that we are now called to contend for the faith. And I hope for those of you who were here last week that, uh, well, I hope you left with a renewed sense of urgency. With your eyes fully open to the very real and present danger of false teaching in the church. Jude, as we saw, uses the main bulk of this letter from verse 5 through to verse 16 to help us understand what these godless leaders are really like. He describes their character to us in great detail in order that we might be ready to make our stand for Jesus in this world. And one of the illustrations that he used, you'll see it up there on the screen, it's taken from verse 13. They, that's the false teachers, are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. These people are unpredictable in their nature and they are powerful in their destruction. And all they leave behind is a, is a, is a frothy scum on the surface and the broken debris of people's lives. And so the question I think we're left asking as we arrive now at verse 17 this morning is how do we respond As a church, how will we respond to false teaching within the church? And how will we respond to an ever increasingly secular agenda within the world? What does it actually look like to contend on all those different levels? What does it look like to care for one another here? What does it look like to to protect ourselves as a church from false teaching in order that we might continue to walk in the way of truth? What about those who we maybe know and love, who are wandering away from the truth? Maybe they've heard something, seen something on the internet, maybe their mind is being led astray by books that they're reading, or maybe it's just that that persistent power of prevailing culture that is squeezing them all the time, and they're just beginning to wander away from Jesus, be led astray. What does it look like to lovingly engage them and lead them back to the truth? And what about the wild waves of the sea themselves? What does it look like for us to contend with those people who are speaking openly and publicly in a way that contradicts and is contrary to the gospel that God has given to us? Well, Jude uses the last part of this letter to answer some of those questions. We're going to begin to think about them under two headings this morning. Firstly, and maybe most importantly, how do we care... For ourselves. Have a look down at verse 17 if you would. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Remember the loving warning of the apostles. For those of you who've been schemed before, no doubt you'll have seen this little sign on your travels down the slopes. It's a fairly common sign. Danger avalanche. And of course, signs like this are put there, aren't they, as a loving warning. They're put there to inform you. They're put there to help you make good decisions so that we do not wander off the safety of the slopes and put ourselves in the path of danger. Well, it's the same thing here when it comes to false teaching. Don't wander away from the slopes of God's Word, from the slopes of truth, and put yourself in the path of danger. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. This is the warning. And this has been the pattern throughout church history. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Why the real tears? Because this is a real warning. It is a warning that God has given to his in church, in love, to listen to, and by the grace of God, to act upon And Jude is just as sincere as the Apostle Paul. Look, verse 17, you can feel the tone, the emotion in in Jude's words as he writes, Dear friends, remember, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Then he goes on to quote the Apostle Peter, look in verse 18, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Peter here isn't talking about the scoffers, those greedy people who constantly fill their face with food. That's not the sort of scoffer that Peter is talking about. He's talking about those who laugh at the idea that they are accountable to God. These people are scoffing at God. Verse 19, these are the people who divide you who follow their mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. These people do not belong to God. They do not have the spirit of God within them. As we saw last week, they have a theology of the gut. They are led by what they feel is right. It's all about feelings. They're led by what they feel is right rather than by what God says is right. And so the constant warning through the apostles is be on your guard. Do not move from the slopes of safety, from the slopes of God's word. And put yourself in the path of danger. Firstly, we care for ourselves by listening to the warnings of scripture. Secondly, we, keep, we, we care for ourselves by keeping ourselves in the love of God. Verse 20 and 21. But you, dear friends... By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, two reasons are given to us in verse 20. Firstly, we do so by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. You see, the same thing that we are called to contend for in verse 3 is the same thing we are called to build ourselves up in, in verse 20. It's the most holy faith. Jude is talking about the body of truth. He's talking about the gospel of God. And notice as Jude talks about building ourselves up in the gospel, in the truth of God's word, he's addressing the whole church, not just individuals. He doesn't just say, dear friend, singular, build yourself up. He says, dear friends, uh, plural, build yourselves up. You see, this isn't a lone pursuit, but a collective endeavor. You see, personal Bible reading is, is a wonderful grace. We've heard about Brother Andrew this morning. Many people in this world don't have a Bible in their own hands, What a wonderful grace that we've got the Word of God in our own hands and we can study it at ourself. That is a beautiful thing. But personal Bible reading is not a substitute for getting together as the people of God with the Word of God open, looking each other in the eye and pressing the truth of God's Word home into our lives. Listening to sermons. Online, If they're good and faithful, there's many out there that aren't. But if they're good and faithful, that is a wonderful grace God has given us. To build ourselves up in the faith, to feed our souls the goodness of God's word. But again, can I say, listening to sermons online is no substitute for gathering here as the people of God. To build ourselves up in the most holy faith is not a lone pursuit. It is a collective endeavor, and it is how we care for ourselves in this world of wild waves. Secondly, we keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. And what I think Jude means here is to pray with a genuine sense of reliance upon God, rather than simply going through the motions you see, there'll be people in churches up and down the country today that will pray the Lord's Prayer mechanically without thinking once about the words that they're saying. That's not praying in the Spirit. That's not engaging in our, in our hearts with, with God. That's simply memorizing words that have become meaningless to us. As John Piper says in one of his books, God looks at the heart and knows the difference between the lifted sails of prayer and the outboard motor of human method. Oh, to lift our our arms, to lift our sails in prayer to God. Not to mechanically go through the motions and just to reel off words because we're told to, but to lift our arms in prayer to God and say, God, please fill me. Please fill us with the Spirit of God, with the power of God. With the grace of God, with the wisdom of God, give us all that we need as we seek to stand for you in this world. And again, of course, this is a collective endeavor, not an individual pursuit. The Lord Jesus commends to us, closing our door and praying in the solitude of our room that we would pour out our hearts to him. But he also commends to us corporate prayer. That together as the people of God, whenever we can, Tuesday evenings once a month, before the service begins on a Sunday morning, that we would gather as the people of God. And that we would bow our collective knee before the throne of grace and ask God to give us collectively all that we need to stand for him in this world. Firstly, we need to care for ourselves and each other. Secondly, how do we engage with others. We thought about caring for ourselves and, and our own hearts as a body of believers. How do we engage with others, maybe, who are who are wandering astray, or those who already stand opposed to God and what he is doing in this world. Well look at verses twenty two and twenty three. Be merciful, says Jude, to those who doubt save others by snatching them from the fire to others show mercy mixed with fear hate even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh now as we think about engaging with others I think there's three ways we can go number one we can put up the fists we can get all defensive which I don't think is particularly helpful secondly we can do the whole ostrich and stick our head in the sand and pretend these issues aren't out there Pretend that people aren't wandering away from the faith they are. It's not helpful to stick our head in the sand. Or thirdly, we can listen to what Jude says in these few verses. As he talks about contending for the faith graciously. Now I think it's quite hard actually to work out who these three groups of people are in verse 22 and 23. But I think what we do have is a, is a sliding scale of sorts from those on one end who are are beginning to to doubt and question what they believe because of what people are saying, all the way through on this scale to the false teachers themselves who are clothed in garments that are stained by the corrupted flesh. And of course, the way that we contend with people across this whole spectrum will vary. But there's one principle that remains the same, which is that of mercy. Mercy. Be merciful, says Jew, to those who doubt. Don't look down judgmentally on people from some position of superiority, but gently, lovingly bring them back to the truth. Graciously expose the, the error in their ways with the word of God open that we might prayerfully bring them back from their wanderings to the word of God. For others who are... Further down that road, maybe they've they've wandered further from the Lord. We're called to save them by snatching them from the fire. What a powerful picture that is, isn't it? Think of a loved one of yours in a burning building. You go back in, wouldn't you? Son or daughter, child, you'd be straight back in to get them out. And so it is here. These people similarly have wandered from the Lord and they are in a perilous position. And Jude says, go and get them back. Go and save them. Go go and snatch them from the fire. And we snatch them from the fire, of course, by bringing them back to the source of our salvation. We can't save anybody, but Jesus can. And it is our job to graciously bring people back to the source of our salvation and the source of truth and life itself, which is Jesus Christ. And then at the far end of the spectrum, we have those false teachers themselves to whom we are called to show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The word clothing there actually refers to undergarments. These are stained undergarments It's probably another reference to the sexual immorality that's come up again and again throughout this letter. And so in the same way, we steer clear of dirty underwear. Jude says, steer clear of these false teachers. Hate even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. That is strong language, isn't it? It's not my language, it's God's language. Hate the godless actions of these people. Hate the godless words of these people. Yet, at the same time, we're called to show them mercy. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And these people are sick. And they need the medicine of God's word. These people are lost. And they too need snatching from the fire. So do you see the happy tension that we have here in these words? In one sense, we're called to keep these people at arm's length, to safeguard the gospel, to protect the well-being of the church. And that begins by guarding the pulpit in any church that the word of God is preached faithfully from the front. Sometimes, and I've seen this happen in churches, it means removing a a small group leader or a youth leader from their position of responsibility in leadership. Maybe their life is not in line with what they're teaching. Their life is all over the place and it contradicts the gospel of God. Maybe they're teaching things that are contrary to what the gospel is saying. These people need to be removed from those positions of responsibility. But that doesn't mean we cut ourselves off from them because we're called to have mercy upon them we don't move away from them we move towards them in grace we seek to engage them with the gospel and prayerfully bring them back in line with the truth and that's why Jude says we need to show them mercy mixed with fear why the fear well I think it's simply the danger of being led astray ourselves Which is why Jude begins where he does, with us guarding our hearts and keeping ourselves in the love of God. Every situation will be different. How we respond in every situation will be different. But the common ingredient, says Jude, is that of mercy. Show mercy to people in the same way that you've been shown mercy by God. And so by way of recap, we live... In turbulent times, the wild waves of false teaching are awash in this world and therefore we need to look after ourselves. That is paramount. That we guard the truth of the gospel amongst ourselves. But at the same time, we must not forget the urgent appeal of verse 3 to contend for the faith. And that means we can't hide away from conflicts. It means we don't stay as a holy huddle and look after ourselves here. And as long as we're all right, that's okay. We do need to look after ourselves. Be on your guard. But at the same time, we need to move towards the people of this world. We need to engage the people of this world. We need to engage those who are wandering away from the truth. And that's difficult. Especially if it's someone you know and love, a member of your own family, and you see them moving away. That is difficult. And we also need to engage the godless culture in which we stand, which already is opposed to the truth. And that's scary. That's scary, right? To contend for the truth in the generation which we live, it is a scary thing. And so if you are sat there this morning, daunted by the prospect of contending for the faith then please be encouraged by the final words in the book of June, because now we understand why these words are here. These famous words in verse 24 and 25, because as we seek to contend for the faith, and that is difficult and it is dangerous, we have one who is contending for us. Verse 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We began in verse 1, didn't we? With the firm foundation of the gospel. You have been called, you are loved, and you will be kept. And Jude now draws his letter to a close with similar words of assurance. And so if you are daunted and fearful and weary and scared of the prospects of contending for the faith, then remember him. Remember him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, spotless in perfection. And unbridled in celebration, all because the Lord Jesus took your sin upon himself at the cross. Spotless in perfection and unbridled in celebration. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied at the cross. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Saviour loves me so, he will hold me fast. The Gettys may have the copyright on those words, but they've nicked them, haven't they, from the Lord Jesus? John chapter 10 they're stolen these are the words of Jesus the words of the good shepherd who cares wonderfully for his sheep my sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me that's what a true sheep of the shepherd does we follow the Lord Jesus I give them says Jesus eternal life and they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one, no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And you know what? You cannot jump out either because his grip is too strong. You're not going anywhere, Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or false teaching, you could put in that list, or sword? Will any of these things separate the the follower of Jesus from the love of God? Answer, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, says Paul, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God will keep you. We're called to keep ourselves in the love of God. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Lift up your arms in prayer to a gracious God who will provide. And as you do, know that he will keep you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can thwart his purposes. What God has began, he will finish. And he will take each one of us safely through all the trials of this life into his eternal kingdom. And of course, the only way to respond to a promise such as that is with praise. And that's exactly how Jude finishes in verse 25, to the only God, our saviour be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Why don't you take a moment to reflect, maybe on those words on the screen there, or if you've been here for the previous two and and this morning, cast your minds back. What are the one or two things that the Lord is saying to you? In terms of contending for the faith. And why don't you spend just a couple of minutes on your own to lift up your arms in prayer. (laughs) To lift up your sails and pray that God would fill not just you but us. With all that we need as we seek to stand for him in the week ahead. So take a couple of minutes to pray into those things. And the band are going to lead us in a couple of songs.